Well, good morning. We are continuing our sermon series going through the Gospel of Mark, and this morning we are picking up in Mark chapter 4. Each of the four Gospel accounts are unique in their own way, and one of the things that is unique to Mark is the way he focuses on the action of Jesus and not so much the teaching of Jesus. He provides us with less of the content of Jesus' teaching than the other three Gospels. But in chapter 4, he breaks from that pattern and provides us with a In our passage, we are going to see how through his teaching, Jesus was simultaneously revealing and concealing his identity and the nature of the kingdom of God. Before we jump into our passage, it's important to remember the backdrop. So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus began his public ministry, and when he came onto the public scene, we read, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God had arrived in the person and ministry of Jesus And he began to proclaim the gospel of God, the good news that God was establishing his kingdom through our King Jesus and that he was saving sinners such as you and I that we might be able to enter into his glorious kingdom. Jesus was proclaiming this good news and he was calling people to respond and he was calling people to respond by repenting of their sins and believing in Christ. And then we see in the first couple of chapters that his popularity began to increase. As Jesus taught in a unique way, he taught as one who had authority. He began to cast out demons. He began to heal the sick, make the unclean clean. Word began to spread. People began to hear about this man, Jesus, who could perform these miraculous deeds. And so many people wanted to come and see They wanted to come and see him firsthand. They wanted to see these miracles for themselves. They wanted to hear this teaching for themselves. So on the one hand, his popularity was increasing. But on the other hand, hostility was increasing as well. And the hostility was primarily coming from the Jewish religious leadership. The Jewish religious leadership saw people flocking to Jesus and they did not let Jesus be began with internal questioning. At one point, Jesus said to a man, your sins are forgiven. And they said to themselves, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is that he can forgive a man of his sins? Does he think that he is in the place of God? But then their hostility and their opposition increased. It went beyond internal questioning. In Mark chapter 3, called counsel with the Herodians how to destroy him. And then in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, we read, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And so the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to discredit and undermine Jesus. 
They saw people coming to him. They did not like his influence. They did not like what he was teaching. And so they sought to destroy him. They sought to undermine him. They sought to discredit him. They couldn't deny the fact that he had some sort of power. They were able to see firsthand the miracles that he, he was performing. But what they tried to do is to say that the power that he uses to perform these miracles doesn't come from God. It actually comes from Satan. And so as his popularity increased, so too the hostility increased. And with all of that going on, he taught the crowds in parables. And the word parable is derived from a Greek verb, which means to set side by side. A teacher would tell a parable by uh, comparing the primary thing with another thing to help people better understand the primary thing. And in the parables of chapter 4, Jesus was comparing aspects of the kingdom of God with experiences that were common to his first century hearers in order to help his followers better understand the nature of the kingdom. Yet, he taught in such a way so as to conceal the meaning of his teaching for some. But why? Why would he do this? Why would he intentionally teach in such a way so as to conceal the meaning of his teaching from some people? Well, the purpose of his teaching was to illuminate, but not only to illuminate. His teaching also served the purpose of testing his audience. The test was not one of intelligence. Rather, it was one of spiritual receptiveness. Jesus was not looking for those who were smart enough to understand what he had to say. He was looking for those who had ears to hear and responsive hearts. So as we read through Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34, let's pray that the Lord gives us ears to hear and responsive hearts. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And with him, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. considered a good crop, though some historical reports tell of extraordinary yields up to a hundredfold. One of those instances is found in Genesis chapter 26 verse 12, where we read how Abraham's son Isaac sowed in the land and where he reaped a hundredfold in the same year. We read in that passage that the reason he did so was because the Lord blessed him. The point being that a hundredfold harvest was so extraordinary that one could only attribute such success to the hand of God. It represented a miraculous harvest. There was no technique that a man could use that would guarantee him a hundredfold yield. It had to be the hand of God. It had to be the blessing of the Lord. And so what we see is that in this parable, the harvest was the work of God of the Lord. Then Jesus concluded with another exhortation to listen. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Once again, impressing on his audience the need to hear, the need to pay careful attention and heed his words. After he had finished his time of teaching, Jesus was approached by the 12 disciples and a few others who asked him the meaning of the parables. Brothers and sisters, we need to see the difference between the disciples and the rest of the crowd. The difference was not that the disciples immediately understood the parables. It wasn't that they were these bright, intelligent, quick-thinking quick people who readily understood everything that Jesus had to say. The disciples did not understand, but they sought understanding. That was the difference. 
They pressed in. They did, not understanding, they did not understand, but they wanted to understand. And they believed that they needed to seek and pursue Jesus in order to understand. To those who pursued him and sought understanding, Jesus said, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." The secrets of the kingdom of God were given to those who humbly sought them out. The disciples were not morally superior. They were not intellectually superior. They were not men of great wealth or prominence. They did not hold positions of power and influence. But they were those who humbly sought understanding from Jesus in fellowship. Now, there's no getting around the fact that some of the things Jesus said here were hard words. He said that he told parables so that those on the outside would see but not perceive, hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. And when Jesus said this, he was quoting from Isaiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God sent Isaiah to the people of Israel because they had hardened their hearts. God's people, the people of Israel, were rejecting God as their king. They were disobeying his commands. They were breaking the covenant that he had made with them. And so the Lord called Isaiah to go and to preach his word to his people. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, we read of Isaiah's commissioning. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah was sent to preach to a hard-hearted and unrepentant people. Therefore, he was called to preach a message of judgment. His preaching would not lead to the repentance of many, but rather would confirm the people of Israel in their hardness of heart and rebellion. The Lord said that Isaiah's preaching would make the people's hearts dull, their eyes heavy, and uh, their eyes heavy, uh, and their eyes blind. And what we see in the history of Israel is that Isaiah's preaching did not bring about widespread repentance as the Israelites failed to receive God's word and respond rightly. Their failure to hear and receive God's word led to their judgment. Similarly, Jesus spoke in parables so that those on the outside would not perceive, would not understand, and would not turn and be forgiven. Sometimes the preaching of God's word has a hardening effect. Sometimes the preaching of God's word confirms people in their rebellion against God. In the case of the parables, in their rejection of Jesus. 
It is also important to remember the context in which Jesus told these parables. Remember, the opposition to Jesus was increasing. And that opposition was coming from the Jewish religious establishment. Those who were meant to be teachers of the Torah. Teachers of God's law. These were the ones who were opposing Jesus. These were the ones who were seeking to destroy him. They were seeking to discredit him by claiming that his power came not from God, but from Satan. And this may have been confusing for the disciples of Jesus. On the one hand, they saw Jesus performing these extraordinary miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick, and they, they heard his teaching, which was profound. Yet, the scribes and the Pharisees were rejecting him. In their minds, it must have been difficult to reconcile these two things. Clearly, they were seeing things in Jesus that led them to believe that he had been sent by God. Yet the people who were supposed to be teachers of God's law were rejecting and opposing him. Jesus explained to them that what was taking place was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah. Just as many of the Israelites rejected the Lord, so too many of the Jews in the days of Jesus rejected Jesus. By using parables, Jesus was simultaneously revealing the kingdom of God to those on the inside while concealing the kingdom of God to those on the outside. One commentator wrote that the sense we get is that Jesus' parables confirm the state of people's hearts. Insiders who are with Jesus will be given the understanding of the mystery, and outsiders who are not with Jesus will be confirmed in their disbelief. Indeed, as the disciples sought understanding in fellowship with Jesus, he explained to them the parable of the sower. And just to reiterate, those who humbly came to Jesus seeking understanding received illumination regarding the secrets of the kingdom of God. And friends, the same is true today. Those who humbly seek Jesus recognizing that he truly is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Those who humble themselves and come to Jesus seeking understanding will receive understanding. Jesus graciously gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to everyone who believes in him. And the Holy Spirit is at work in believers to give us understanding of God's word, to help us to better understand the wonderful and deep truths of the gospel. He reveals these things graciously to us who humble ourselves and seek understanding in Jesus. So when the disciples sought understanding, Jesus explained the meaning of the parable of the sower. He actually began by asking two questions. He said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The key to understanding all of the parables is first understanding the parable of of the sower. The reason that the parable of the sower serves as a paradigm for all of the parables is because it combines two themes central to the ministry of Jesus, namely the identity of Jesus and the nature of discipleship. The first telling of the parable in verses 3 through 9 teaches us about Jesus, while the second telling in verses 14 through 20 teaches us about discipleship. The first telling illustrates who Jesus is and why he came. Remember, Mark began his gospel by writing the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And when Jesus began his public ministry, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The parable reminds us that the kingdom of God was breaking in to this world through the person and ministry of Jesus, the Son of God, who is the sower of the gospel. And he sows the gospel generously, which points to his priority in preaching and proclaiming the gospel. After Jesus performed miracles in Capernaum, the disciples told him that everyone was looking for him. But Jesus responded by saying, let us go on to the next towns that I, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And in the parable, the extraordinary harvest was not due to human efforts, but to God's power. James Edwards wrote, God is at work, hidden and unobserved, in Jesus and the gospel to produce a yield wholly disproportionate to human prospects and merit. The sower's earnest and prolific at sowing, which at first looked mistaken and futile, is vindicated by a bumper crop. Throughout the gospel, Jesus teaches, preaches, and proclaims as tirelessly as the sower sows. Jesus is the sower who sows tirelessly and generously, and God promises an extraordinary and supernatural harvest. When Jesus provided the explanation of the parable, the focus shifted to how people hear the gospel. The first three types of hearing do not involve any heeding. The reasons differ, but the results are the same. The word is not received. The people do not heed the word of God. The word does not take root and bear fruit. The seed that fell on the path is like those who hear the word, but then Satan takes away what they have heard before it can penetrate the heart. They are too busy and distracted to pay attention and consider the truth of the gospel. They quickly dismiss what they have heard. For them, the gospel is foolishness and a waste of time. We see this in our culture today. Many people just don't give Jesus, the gospel, the time of day. They're fine with saying, hey, what works for you is great, but it's not for me. I don't have time for that. I have more important things to, to tend to. My friend Matthew is a pastor of a journey church and he told me of a time when he was on a flight home and he was sitting next to a, a Jewish gal and they got in a conversation of faith and he had the opportunity to lay out the gospel to her in all of its glory and she listened to him but then shortly thereafter the conversation ended and she quickly just went to sleep. And it just struck him, it grieved him that she could hear this glorious good news and quickly dismiss it and just go to sleep. But that is how many people respond today. The gospel is not worth their time. And if they this is a sad response that we see far too often. Next, he explained the meaning of the seed that landed in the rocky soil. To them, the word sounds good at first, but they don't hold fast to the word when trials and opposition come. Though the gospel sounds good to these people initially, they lack conviction regarding the truthfulness of the gospel. You see, when you have conviction regarding the truth of the gospel, you understand that the gospel is worth losing all things. That believing and holding fast to Jesus is worth enduring suffering and persecution, even death. It is when you know what Jesus 
offers us, when you know what Jesus has promised us, when you know the future that awaits us, you understand that it is worth it. Sadly, many people today want God's blessing in their life without giving up any comforts or conveniences in their lives. Therefore, when it comes time to pick up their crosses, following Christ no longer becomes worth it. Brothers and sisters, does your life reflect a deep and abiding conviction regarding the truth of the gospel? Are you so convinced that the gospel is true, that it is clearly the most precious thing in your life? Do you value Jesus more than anyone or anything else in the world? Do you love him more than anyone or anything else in the world? Do you know that it is worth it to lose all things and yet hold fast to Jesus? Believing in Jesus is worth suffering persecution for. It's worth losing all things. Jesus then explained the meaning of the seed that fell among the thorns. This seed is not able to become fruitful because it is choked out by the thorns, which represent the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Busyness is a costly problem for many people today. How many of us are just so busy that we don't give enough time and energy to eternal matters. We quickly disregard things that are of eternal value, like prayer and word and sharing Christ and engaging with brothers and sisters in Christ to build them up in the faith. Busyness is a problem that keeps us from being fruitful in the gospel. And then there is the deceitfulness of riches. And one of the ways riches are deceitful is that we believe the lie that more is the key. The exceedingly wealthy John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough money? And he famously answered, just a little bit more. We believe the lie that if we just have a little bit more money, then we will be happy. If we just have a little bit more money, then we will be secure. If we just have a little bit more money, then we will be content. If we just have a little bit more of riches, but I don't think this is an attitude that is just out there. I think the deceitfulness of riches has infiltrated the church. And I think the giving trends and statistics among Christians are a troubling indication of this. Today, those who give regularly to their churches make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. According to a 2015 ShareFaith article, people with a salary less than $20,000 are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes $75,000. Of families that make $75,000 or more, only 1% donated a tenth of their income. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. During the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. 
Why is it that statistically Christians who make more are less likely to give? Why is it that Christians today who enjoy far more wealth, comfort, and conveniences than Christians during the Great Depression give less? The reason I I bring this up is because I believe it is evidence that the deceitfulness of riches has infiltrated the church. Our desire for more Our desire for more money, for more things in this world keeps us from giving generously as the Lord has commanded us. We need to examine our lives to see if the busyness and the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things are keeping us from bearing gospel fruit. And what better time than now to do this? Now is the time when we need to examine our lives, to examine how busy we are, to examine what we're chasing after, to examine if there are things in our lives that are choking out gospel fruit. Finally, he gets to the seed that landed on the good soil. They are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The key to the parable of the sower and to all the parables is responding in faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of discipleship. We hear God's word. We accept God's word, meaning we receive it as true and we walk in obedience. Discipleship is hearing the words of Christ and obeying him. It's saying, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe your words are true. I believe your commands are good. And I'm going to seek to walk in obedience to you. What we see is that the power of the gospel is seen in the magnitude of the harvest. The gospel is powerful to bear incredible fruit in our lives. The gospel has the power to change us and to transform us and to conform us into the image of Jesus. The gospel is also powerful to spread across the globe. And so we see people of all different cultures and and languages worshiping Jesus. The gospel is powerful. And we see that in the extraordinary harvest. In verses 21 through 25, we are exhorted to once again listen carefully. The purpose of the parable of the lampstand was to point to the fact that though Jesus was speaking in parables, his identity and the proclamation of the kingdom were not ultimately meant to be hidden, but revealed. The humanness of Jesus may have hidden the glory of God in his person and ministry, but it was only temporary. Jesus would soon be made fully manifest so that everyone will know that he is the Son of God. In light of this, his disciples needed to pay careful attention to what he said. They needed to pay careful attention and heed his words. And as they listened and heeded the words of Jesus, the Lord would increase their knowledge and understanding. 
And this is an encouragement to us to press on in seeking Jesus. As we press on in seeking Jesus, he will give us greater knowledge and understanding. We will grow in our knowledge and understanding of the gospel, which will bear more good fruit in our lives. The spread of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom is again in focus in the last two parables. Both parables tell stories with wonderful and surprising results. The first one focuses on the process of growth, and the second one focuses on the contrast between the beginning and the end result. The parable in, verse, in verses 26 through 29 describes the mysterious way in which the kingdom grows. A man does something very unspectacular. He scatters seeds on the ground. Then he sits back and waits. He sleeps and rises night and day, and something happens that he does not understand. The seed begin to sprout and grow. The process is a little slow and doesn't draw a lot of attention, but when the grain is ripe, he gladly reaps the harvest. In the final parable, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. If you were to take a close look at one of these mustard seeds, you wouldn't think much of it, and you wouldn't expect something great to come from it. But you would be greatly mistaken to underestimate what it will become. That small seed grows to become an incredibly large plant. It outgrows all of the other garden plants and becomes large enough to provide shade for the birds' nests. Jesus was saying, what you see now may seem insignificant, but don't be mistaken about what is going to happen. Some people who saw the miracles firsthand were impressed by Jesus But to most people, he was the son of a carpenter from a small town called Nazareth. To many people, he was unimpressive. And his band of disciples weren't much to speak of either. I don't think people were looking at this group of guys and thinking, these are the ones the Lord is going to use to usher in the kingdom of God and turn the world upside down. But the humble beginning of Jesus and the humble beginning of his disciples was the beginning of something surprising, glorious, and immeasurably significant. Jesus was telling them that the kingdom of God had arrived, and you might not think much of it now, and you might not understand how it will grow, but it is going to happen. Here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus revealed himself as the sower, the son of God who came to establish the kingdom of God and proclaim the gospel of God. And as the sower, he will reap a magnificent harvest. In the book of Revelation chapter 7, we get a picture of the fulfillment of this parable where we read, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Just as Jesus said in the parable, there will be a great and wonderful harvest that will span the globe. People from every nation, tribe, people, and language. There will be a great and wonderful harvest. Many people will believe in Jesus for their salvation and will enter into the kingdom of God once and for all. 
If you are not a Christian, we are very glad that you are joining us through this live stream. And our hope and our desire for you is that you will hear the words of Christ and that you will respond by turning from sin and believing in him for your salvation. You see, we are all sinners. We have all sinned against God, who is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is good, and all of his commands are good. Yet every single one of us is guilty of disobeying his commands. And because of that, we deserve judgment. If God were to only give us what we deserve, we would receive judgment. But God, in his mercy, in his kindness, in his love, has provided a way for us to escape judgment without compromising his righteousness and holiness. He did so by providing Jesus Christ as a substitute and a sacrifice to take the punishment we deserve so that everyone who turns from their sin and believes in him will be saved and reconciled to God. And what that means for us is that when we die, we will join him in his kingdom for all of eternity. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more sin and death. We will be with him in his perfect and glorious kingdom for all of eternity. If you're not a Christian, we hope and pray that you will believe in Jesus and be saved. The question for all of us, in light of Mark chapter 4 is this. How well are you listening to Jesus? What kind of soil is your heart? Are the words of Jesus finding good soil in your heart and producing good fruit? Are you listening? Are you hearing? Are you heeding? Are you humbly seeking understanding in Jesus in fellowship with Jesus, that you might grow as a follower of Jesus. How is the gospel bearing fruit in your life? Brothers and sisters, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? The next question is this, do you have confidence in the power of the gospel? Sometimes we lose heart. Sometimes we lose confidence because we are not seeing the results that we hope we will see. We are not seeing people we love and care about come to faith in Christ. We are not seeing the gospel spread in the way that we would like to see the gospel spread. It's easy for us to become discouraged. It's easy for us to become disheartened. But we need to have confidence that the gospel is powerful and the harvest will be plentiful. If you're discouraged, I want to remind you of Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, where we read, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What a good and encouraging word for us to press on for us to persevere what great hope we have in these verses that by pressing on in jesus by walking in obedience to him by doing the things that he calls us to do we will see a harvest if we do not give up brothers and sisters let us persevere in doing good to everyone especially to our brothers and sisters in christ 
We serve Jesus. He is the Son of God who came to usher in the kingdom of God and proclaim the gospel of God. We serve him and we know that the harvest will be plentiful. And so therefore, with gratitude and with confidence, let's continue to heed the words of Jesus and walk in obedience to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, which Jesus came to proclaim, which Jesus came to proclaim to many. We thank you for the gospel seeds that have taken root, that have produced good fruit. And Lord, we pray that our hearts will be receptive. We pray that you will give us ears to hear and receptive hearts, that your word might take root in our lives and bear much good fruit. And we pray that the gospel will continue to spread in our community and beyond, all over the world. We pray that we will have the, the, um, the joy of participating in your glorious work of seeing the gospel spread. We rejoice in you. You are the Lord of the harvest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.